I think that I would just want my 16-year-old grieving self to see me and to see that I'm still here and that I like find joy in life because I think that in that state I just felt like I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't find joy again. Death is a villain that doesn't ever take one victim at a time. Today, I am holding a funeral for the part of me that died with you, the part of me that loved easily and viewed the world through innocent eyes. I'm picking flowers for the ceremony, decorating the walls of my heart, hanging pictures of the girl that was me, but isn't anymore. I'm mourning myself, crying over the gravestones of memories that used to belong to us, but only belong to me now. Death is a villain that doesn't ever take one victim at a time. When they buried your heart in the dirt, they also buried mine. What's the name of that poem? I actually don't title my poems because I just like to let them speak for themselves. Oh, I love that. There's uh, there's a lot to unpack there, and I want to thank you for starting us off with that beautiful poem, which is one of your many amazing works, and that one's in your newest book, Harmony, correct? Yes, yes, it is. Very exciting. As exciting as a conversation like this can get. So I do want to off the bat ask you, uh, how how is grief a part of your life? Yeah. So grief entered my life probably when I was I was 16 years old. And I before that, I hadn't experienced a whole lot of loss. Um, I lost my grandfather, but that was when I was quite young and I didn't remember that experience too well. And processing grief as a child is different than processing it as you get older. So when I was 16, I lost my best friend in the whole world in a car accident. And this was like my childhood best friend. She lived down the street from me, about four houses down the street. And we did everything together. Um, Basically, my whole childhood was just a picture of, of us doing things together, building tree forts in my backyard and everything. So then as, as we grew up, we were all, we were still very close. Um, when we were little people used to, we would go out with my mom or with her mom and they would ask if we were twins because we looked very alike. And so I always say that she is my twin flame because I think sometimes you meet people that, that are just, it's like your soul, like, knew each other before you landed on this planet. (laughs) And I think that that's a very special kind of connection. So when I was 16, I was at a little like get together with a bunch of friends. We were just like watching movies, listening to music. And I think it was maybe a Friday night after school. And it was snowy because I was in Montana and it was winter. And so the roads weren't fantastic. It was snowing. They were kind of icy. And so all of us were out there except for her. And I was the one that kept texting her. And I was like, when are you going to get here? You know, we're having so much fun. Please come out here. So that that's something that was hard for me to process later because she ended up coming out later in the night and um, the roads were rough. She slid on the roads. There was a semi, semi hit her vehicle. And this happened right outside of the friend's house that we were at. And so there's this big like bay window 
and we're sitting there watching a movie and the window is the TV's right here, the window's to the right. And we saw this accident happen, but it's dark outside. So what we saw is we saw a semi hit a car and we didn't know who was in the car. We didn't know what was going on at all. I didn't know that she was coming out. She didn't text me, you know, I'm on my way or anything like that. And so I, I, I had no idea what, what was happening, but my friend's parents were the ones that went out to go check out what was going on. They brought a flashlight with them um, so that they could signal us to call 911 if we needed to. So they went out there and at this time I still didn't, we still didn't know it was her. I texted her, you know, and I'm texting her because I just wanted to warn her that there was a crash and told her not to come out. Because like at this point, I didn't even know that she was the one in the car. And so I'm texting her and calling her and it's just going straight to voicemail and and I'm starting to realize, and I'm the only one that's starting to realize, you know, all these other, I'm with a bunch of group of girls and everybody's kind of, you know, chatting and, you know, it's a lot of drama going on, a lot of excitement. Nobody knows what's going on. And um, I was the first to kind of, it's sunk in. And I was like, oh, oh shit, this, <laughs> this, this could be her, you know? And we couldn't see the extent of the car crash, you know, because it was, in the dark, it was far off, but they flashed the flashlight at us. So my friend, Abby, she called 911, told them that there was a bad accident. We didn't, she didn't know how bad it was, but there was a bad accident and that they needed to send medical emergency help out there. So nobody still knew at this time. And then my friend's parents came back and, and broke the news. And I just immediately like heart shattered because all of her pain I've always felt and all of my pain she's always felt. It's always been that way between the two of us, you know. Um, and so it, it wasn't even, it wasn't even like my heartbreaking for me. It was like, I just knew she was in so much pain and like the fear that she probably felt in that moment, like I couldn't, I couldn't grasp it. So at that point, she, she was rushed, rushed to the hospital and she was, still she was conscious at first and then she went unconscious and I we live kind of in the middle of nowhere um in Montana and so she had to be flown into a hospital because the nearest hospital is um a couple hours away so they flew her to the hospital and we all of us girls are are in this house together everyone's kind of distraught but I think everyone except me maybe had this mindset of like, oh, she's, she was conscious. Oh, she's going to be okay. She's going to be okay. And like in that moment, it wasn't, I couldn't like align myself with that. Like I could only feel like how scared or how terrible she must be feeling in the moment. And so I, I locked myself in a separate room because I needed, I needed to go, needed to go away. Um, the girls kind of kept talking and tried to like lighten the mood a little bit. But I, I was like, I don't want any light. I want, I want to go away and I want to cry. And so um, I went away in a separate room from everyone else. And I called my mom and I wanted my mom to come get me. But I also was like, nobody should drive on these roads at this point. You know, um, we know that they're not safe. So like nobody, nobody drive on the roads. So that was a, a rough night. And I was awake pretty much the whole night. And then the next morning, 
my mom did come and get me. The roads had kind of cleared a little bit and she was in the hospital for a few days. We went to see her in the hospital, but she was never conscious again and eventually was pronounced brain dead. And that was a whole nother thing because I feel so much for her family. Um, Her family's like my family, but they, you know, had to make that decision of whether to keep her on life support or take her off life support. And I just feel for like for anybody who ever has to make that decision, that is like one of the hardest things I can ever imagine having to do. But eventually she, she did go off life support. And, and so that was, that was it. Jeez. Well, thank you for that. I think uh, with your story, you know, my thought process after hearing it is it's such an important understanding at being 16 to lose someone at such a pivotal age in your life. And also I can see this reflecting on parents that have a child that is going through grief. So I think, you know, your story is, is very important to share. And I'm curious of tapping into that. And I'm relating your poem that you started off with. And the two things is that you felt like you came out of it a different, not the same girl, a different girl. And also how death doesn't just take one person. And you kind of alluded to that, how it affects the family and everyone around you, which I is how I'm pulling meaning from that. But how did you process that as a 16-year-old? How, how do you feel you came out a different girl? Honestly, for a long time, I feel like I just pushed through it because I didn't know what else to do. I was an athlete in high school and in college as well. And I think the very reason that I went on to college athletics was because of this grief, actually, because I started running cross country right after she passed away. And I like poured my whole heart into that. And whenever I was just, I just couldn't cope, I would just go run. And it became, it got to the point where I was just running so much. (laughs) So I think that redirecting that energy somewhere um, was really good for me. So I, I started running a lot. And then I also started writing a lot. And that was kind of the the point that I began writing was after losing her. Did you feel like these processes, the writing or the running, or maybe they did different things, did they help cope with it? Or did you feel like you mentioned like, did it kind of redirect it? Like, did you feel like that was a process of healing? That's a good question. I've never like really thought about what exactly that that was doing for me. I think running was like a redirect of all that um, like anger or sadness or whatever that that was like redirecting my grief. And I would say that writing was was processing. So like I used writing to process. And then when I was like, I can't take this anymore. I don't want to think about this anymore. I don't want to process this anymore. Then I'd go run. And so I think it was kind of the balance of both of those things that gave me an out. Right. That makes sense. What was the dynamic with your family? Like as a 16 year old girl, you know, I I mean, I, this is my opinion. I I don't know if anyone can grieve by themselves and I'm sure there's plenty of people that have to do that, but what was your support system like? My family was amazing in the way that they were all there for me. Um, I have an older brother and he, like everyone came to the hospital my older brother is so protective of me. And so he just was kind of um, my rock <laughs> while we were at the hospital. Um, and they they were good in the way that they all wanted to be there, but they also had never 
experienced. Like no one in my family had ever experienced this kind of grief. My parents, neither of them had ever like lost a friend at a young age or um, honestly anyone super significant in their life. And so I was a little bit alone in processing it. It wasn't their fault that I was, but they just didn't know how to help when they had never experienced it. Right. I feel like, is that part of your mission right now? Because I know you know a lot of your writings cover a lot of different grounds, but obviously you've spoke specifically about grief quite often. How important of, of the conversation of death and maybe considering it a little bit more before you experience it will help people moving forward? Because experiences like yours where your family has an experienced loss and they didn't know how to deal with it. But at the same time, even when you go through it, even if you have gone through it, it still smacks you in the face. But at the same time, how important is it to you for others that haven't experienced loss to contemplate it or to maybe philosophize about it or keep it in the back of their mind in order to prep for the inevitable day where you will lose someone or someone who's close to you might lose someone? Yeah, it's really important for me to, one, be a voice for people who who need it, who have lost someone and maybe don't have that voice in their life. And that's that's part of my purpose in writing Harmony is, is to just hand people a friend that they need to walk through their grief with them. But the other part of it is it's a tool for people who maybe haven't processed grief a lot. And so one, they can read it to maybe help understand their loved ones that are going through something, or they can use it to give to their loved ones who are going through something if they don't have the words to give them or the words to say. And so that's really my hope with with my writing. I love that. I feel like your writing, especially when it comes to poetry, it's open to interpretation. And I feel like so is grief because everyone handles it so differently. So you might write, even the poem you read at the beginning of the podcast, You could one person might take it this way, one person might take it that way. And that's kind of the beauty of it. And I think that's interpretation is important because of the way we all grieve differently. What do you feel, what did you need most during your grief process and whether you're going through it still right now to date, what did you feel you needed the most during your grieving process? I was very fortunate, I think, to have what I needed most because I think what I needed most was someone who understood. And I had, so my my friend's younger sister, she and I were never really close because she was always kind of like a younger sister to me as well. But after my friend passed away, me and her younger sister became really close. And that was something that I think saved the both of us. Um, Just having someone, because, you know, people who don't understand often approach you with this, I don't know, like pity or they don't approach you just as like a human. And I think when you have someone who understands exactly what you're going through, you can be open about it. You can talk about it. You can even make jokes about it if that's what you need to do to get through it. So I, I had that person. And so that was something that was, that got me through. And how old are you today? I'm 22. 22. So it's been six years. What's the evolving process been like? Cause again, I, I'm being redundant here, but you know, you, you thought you came out of it a different girl. So what is the 22 year old Whitney like today in regards to your process of not having your best friend? I think that I definitely have 
a clearer picture now um, of, I guess, the whole the whole journey. Not that, that it's ever really over, but just of the fact that there is light and there is beauty in life still after Greece. And I think that that was a long road to get to. And I can't say that every single day I feel that way either, you know, but that's part of the reason that it took me so long to, to write this book was because I needed, I needed six years to write about it. I couldn't write about it in, in the, the darkest part of the grief. And so I would say that, that I have perspective, but I haven't reached any kind of destination. Is there a destination when it comes to grief? No. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of my point. I don't really think I ever will reach the destination. Yeah, I don't know if any of us know where the hell we're going, so I, I, I kind of stuck in that. What would you tell your 16-year-old grieving self? I honestly don't even know if I would have the words, but I do think, I think that I would just want my 16-year-old grieving self to see me and to see that I'm still here and that I like find joy in life because I think that in that state, I just felt like I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't find joy again. That's such a perfect message, especially that it literally couldn't have been said any better. And that message to me is for people that are literally in that place right now, because when you're going through anything, I've said this a million times, whether it's grief or whether it's X, Y, Z, it's just, you you, do, you can't see yourself there because all you know is the pain in the moment and it seems so impossible when someone says, oh, give it time or you can get there or you will get, it's just like you're blinded by the grief, you're blinded by the trauma. So to have that awareness to say what you just said, I think is such an important message for people that are going through it now that you're not going to see it now. You might not see it now, but you, you kind of got to grab onto that a little bit, right? So is, is that the mess- the same message you gave your 16-year-old self, the same message you would say to someone that's grieving right now? Yeah, definitely. There's a there's a poem in my book where I say, like, I know that three years from now it might get better, or I know that in the future it's going to get better. Like, I've heard that enough, but what do I do with my broken heart today? And I think that that is al- along those lines as well. What do you do with the broken heart that you have today? Because for, I'm, I mean that in, like a, in the question of for parents that have a child that's grieving— or for someone that is in their teenage years, such a vital part of their life that is grieving and that is in the moment right now. I know it's, it's a case-by-case basis, but is there anything that you feel has worked for you or that you would say to them that are going through it right now? I would just say to do what you feel your heart needs. Um, for me, that was writing and it was running, but maybe your heart needs something else. Some kind of expression is always good to to just get things out there, um, but also just just take care of your heart in whatever way it needs to be taken care of because no one can tell you how to grieve or how to do it the right way because there is no right way. Mm. And what, what part of your writing seemed to help you the most? Is it literally getting it out? Is the feeling that you're helping other people? What is it with your writings that you feel help you heal the most? I think at first it was just getting it out because I didn't share my poetry for a long time. And some of these poems that are like in this book, I wrote when I was 16. Most of them are more recent, but some of them are, are old. And so I think at first I didn't, I didn't even want to share them. It needed to be my, my grief. It needed to just be mine. 
and it needed, I didn't want anyone's opinion on it. I just wanted to process the way I needed to process. And I didn't want to hear, to hear what anyone else had to say. But now something that helps me is to hear what other people have to say. And so I think that's just the progression of, of Greece is at first that isn't what I needed, but now it is what I need because I'm, I'm hearing back from these people that they relate to what I'm saying or that my words are what they needed in this time of Greece. And so it's kind of a beautiful way to, to see that come back to me. Yeah. It's that connectivity. It's that building that community. It's, 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 there's so many other people going through it. That's why I think it's more important than ever for people to share their story when it comes to loss, because not everyone's going to relate, but you're going to find people that relate. So even as different as it is that everyone grieves, even from your story, even though I lost my dad at a different age, even though it was my dad, not my friend, there's always a, there's always some level of connectivity. And even when you hear something that is not relatable to what you went through, it just it gives you a different lens to look at it. And maybe I can help that person get through it, especially if they don't have someone to talk to. Some people don't have the support system. So I, I just want to commend you again for writing what you're writing and for being on here and sharing your story because this this conversation and your words are sometimes the only support system that they have. Uh, and I'm pretty sure you're aware of that at such a young age. So I, I commend you for what you're doing. Um, and just, I got one last question that's kind of a, a transitionary question, but with this contemplation of death at such a young age, what do you believe happens after we pass? Like, what are your belief systems with death? I think I believe that everything in this world is energy and energy doesn't die. It just continues on. And I don't know in what way people continue on after they die, but I do think that kind of like the butterfly effect, you know, like maybe... Maybe someday I'm going to be a tree and maybe that tree is going to be shade for something else. And, you know, it all kind of connects like energy just passes on. And so I don't think anything ever truly dies, but I can't tell you for certain, like what happens exactly after this life. You know, I was hoping you had the answers. I thought you would have the exact answer. So I went, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, listen, uh, Whitney, I want to thank you so much for for taking this stride because again, you lost your friend at 16 years old. That is such a pivotal moment in anyone's life. And to have that experience at a young age, clearly you didn't come out of here the same girl and now woman. So um, you should be proud of yourself. And I commend you again for all the work you're doing. So I know you're helping a lot of people out there. And uh, before we do bow out of, the, out of here, um, let people know how they could find you, your book, your poetry. And if there's anything else you want to say before we drop this Wi-Fi and, and the episode, please go ahead. Um, I think that should be about it for me, but um, you can find my books on WhitneyHansonPoetry.com and then um, I'm at Whitney Hanson Poetry on everything, every other social media platform. Beautiful. And for everyone listening, I'll plug the links in the show description, the show notes, whoever you are listening to this episode. Uh, definitely go check out her book. She's a, a heck of a lady and clearly has a lot to teach the world. So you can listen to more of her words and poetry where she just mentioned. And Whitney, thank you again. And for everyone else that's listening to the episode, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Dead Talks. Till next time. Ciao.